0: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast show five hundred and
1: nine. I tell people I said grind now so you can shine later, spending the fruits of your investments. So, you know, believe it or not, that power of compounding, you know, taking that one first house I bought, flipped it, bought two more homes, and then that first shopping center, I ten thirty-one exchanged it with your property into another one, office building, and then a high rise, and then a multiple high rises in a portfolio I bought as a group. So I didn't buy Ferrari.
2: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others
0: who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on everyone it's Brendan Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast here with my co-host Mr. David Green david man i didn't have a good nickname for you today but what's up how you doing
2: i'm doing pretty good the northern california and the southern california markets are softening up a little bit i think a lot of the buyers that were competing over the houses just got frustrated and backed out so we're actually able to put people in contract again i don't know if i mentioned but i'm looking for another house for myself to house hack maybe a couple of them so if for those people that were like hey i really want to get a house but it's too hot some of that is shifting the buyer psychology is It's like uh, in Gladiator. Remember they talked about like the mob.
0: They'll be with you and then they'll be against you. It happens very quickly. fleeting. Fleeting. Well, good luck, man. You deserve something great. Thank you. Speaking of something great. (laughs) You like that transition? Today's episode is with Manny Koshbin. So if you guys don't know Manny, huge Instagram account. You can find him at Manny Koshbin, K-H-O-S-H-B-I-N. So Manny, and he has 2.2 million followers over there on Instagram, and for good reasons, got an amazing account. But here's a cool thing about Manny. Manny has been investing in real estate for like 20 some years, almost 30 years. Very, very successful, but... and almost a billion dollars worth of real estate. Does most of it, or really almost all of it, with his own money. So it's not like syndicating. He just has snowballed wealth to a massive level, and he does a lot of what's called value add. So he first, this first half of the show, it's really about his story. Today, you're gonna hear about a story about you know being homeless, working at Kmart. I think he said before we were recording he was making three bucks an hour at Kmart, and uh, that's to where he is today, buying some incredible real estate, some huge deals, and some really amazing cars. We talk a little bit about the car thing today as well, which you'll see on his Instagram. It's not quite what you might think. Uh, I was actually pretty surprised at his kind of logic behind it. Now I'm like, I'm going to go buy some cool cars. So you hear about that and more coming up. Uh, also, make sure you listen towards the end of the interview. Uh, he gives he lays out a bunch of tips for adding value to real estate, how to dramatically make the price go up, especially when it comes to bigger deals, but really any real estate. That concept and some of the tips he gives there are going to make some people listen to this show millions of dollars over their career. So listen for that and more all coming up. But first, let's get to today's quick
2: tip. Today's quick tip is... Avoid the temptation of wanting to just carbon copy somebody else's success. It's so easy to say, "How did you do it?" Okay, control C, control V. Now I've done it. The problem is nothing in life actually works that way. In today's episode, Manny,
0: it's command on a Mac, it's command C, command V. That's why it doesn't work that way.
2: <laughs> I like, do use a, a Mac. I just don't like being labeled as
0: a Mac. Okay, yeah. What
2: was that really funny joke you had? I'm a millennial, we don't like labels. I think that's that's just still such a hilarious joke.
0: Yeah. I don't think that was supposed to be a joke. I think I was saying
2: that legit. Anyway, keep going. Well, it was funny to me. (laughs) Today's guest, Manny, describes how his deep understanding of the fundamentals of real estate, not esoteric rocket science level stuff, really basic, simple things that he has mastered at a high level, allows him to find ways to make properties work that somebody would miss if they're just looking for command C. It doesn't work, Brandon. You gotta say control C, control V. I
0: I don't know, command, yeah, control C does flow, but then it's just wrong. I mean, if you're okay being wrong, David, that's okay if you're okay with that, but you know how you do anything is how you do everything. I don't know if it's
2: politically correct to talk about commanding. We should probably. I guess controlling's just as bad. All right, this quick tip has gone
0: completely off the rails. Remember, when it was open Apple it was like open Apple C, open Apple B, but that was too long, so they changed it to command on my little Apple keyboard. Now
2: I don't remember that, but there is an Oregon Trail reference later in this show that would probably work well with your open Apple for that age demographic. So, quick tip summed up. Don't look for ways to copy someone else's success. Instead, focus on mastering the thing you're getting into. And then the ways that you will be successful will make themselves known
0: to you. Yeah, I said that quote from, I think everyone has said this, but success leaves clues. Right. It's like like success isn't a follow this step by step the cookbook. It's not a cookbook. Right. But it's there's a lot of clues out there and a lot of really good ingredients that then you can learn to be a great chef. So how's that for an analogy, man? Look at that. Taking over your analogy role. You would drop your mic, but it's got an arm. So it just hangs there. I could push it down just like like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the new thing So dropping mics. It's smashing mics.
3: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Rent app is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, Rent app uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love Rent app for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? Rent app, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app/landlord. That's rent.app/landlord. Take a second and imagine this immediate cash flow, above-average rent, built-in equity, and a foolproof exit plan. No, it's not 2012 again. This is just what it's like to invest with Integra Development Group. They've simplified the real estate investing process so everyone can invest. With their new construction single-family rent-to-own homes, you'll get aggressively priced brand-new properties that have tenants in place now in one of the fastest-growing states in America, Florida. Here's how IDG's rent-to-own strategy works. You get exclusive access to inventory with aggressive pricing thanks to IDG's builder-partner relationships. Then, invest and collect immediate cash flow with tenants already in place at or very close to closing. With the demand for new builds, your tenants pay above market rent, so you rake in more cash flow. And you'll get built-in equity and appreciation with an already agreed-to purchase price at year three, helping the tenants become homeowners while you build wealth. That's investing simplified. So secure your next investment property today with Integra Development Group at integradg.com. That's integradg.com to start investing today.
0: All right, and with that said, I think it's time to get into our episode today with Manny Coachbean. You guys are going to love this show. I loved it. Uh, I think he's a fantastic guy doing some really big stuff in real estate, very smart, very driven, and y'all going to hear more from Manny right now. Anything you want to add before we jump in, David? No, let's get to it. Manny, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. It's uh, it's an honor to have you here.
1: Thank you. Likewise.
0: Thanks. So let's let's dive into your story a little bit. I know you got kind of a, a crazy long entrepreneurial journey, and then we'll get from that into real estate. So where does this all begin?
1: Oh my God, this is going to take a couple of hours, but I'll sh- I'll shorten it. <laughs> I'm from Iran originally, and uh, back 30 years ago, there was an Iran Iraq war, and when you reach age 14, you're automatically drafted into the army and my dad had seven brothers and four of them got crippled from being injured in the war so two weeks before my 14th birthday my dad decided to bolt and didn't want me to get pulled into the army and that was a very sudden decision on his part and but you know four kids in, you know in short order jumping ship from one country to another it takes a lot of balls and a lot of guts and at the time, I didn't realize what he's doing, but uh, we arrived in US in 1985 uh, with a little over $2,000. And my dad was promised a job at a gas station pumping full service gas. When we arrived here, that job had gone away and that puts us on uh, in a very uh, bad spot. So, you know, we were pretty much homeless. Now my dad was educated, he was a CPA by trade and he was able to get a job, but it took a couple of months. So for that, couple of months, you know, we had to live in a car. It was very hard times, you know, six people in a 1972 Dotson station wagon. And I turned all that, you know, guilt, I had a lot of guilt because everybody's suffering because of me. So I turned that into motivation. Now, mind you, I didn't speak a word of English. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have no money. And I didn't have any, you know, know my way around. It's a new place, right? So it was a lot of obstacles I had to overcome. But my first job was uh, I was, uh, every time I took the trash out to the dumpster, I noticed people leave stuff outside the dumpster. I'm like, hey, it's a nice chair. You know, it's not broken or a toaster or a black and white TV or what have you. So I would haul those back to my apartment patio. And then after a while, you know, I realized hey, we, we gotta have a place to sell these. Across from our apartment, there was uh, Orange Coast College. that had a swap meet every weekend. So me and my brother hauled those across the street and got a couple of spots. And that was my first business for two years. And uh, yeah, until 16, I was able to legally work And I applied at Kmart as a clerk and mopping the floors, collecting shopping carts. And I got promoted within the two years I was there, three times. At the end of the day, I knew that's not where I wanna stop. And it's a stepping stone. So I was always getting the Sunday paper, looking for employment opportunities. I found a company that sold, you know, nuts and candies door to door. It's a multi-level marketing. I applied for it. Within three months, I was at one of the top salespeople. So one day, I'm at uh, Price Club. Back then, it wasn't Costco; it was Price Club. And I did a quick math on the cashews and jelly beans and Juju bees. <laughs> I'm like, wait! I'm at this company selling half uh, eight-ounce bags to me at three bucks. And if I buy a whole pound, it's you know a buck fifty. So I can you know, save like 70% on the cost. So I went into business for my own. I already had my customers. So I started my own business, UWP, unlimited wholesale product. I was 18, a little over 18 years old. had to have my dad co-sign for a small office for me. And I went to pay phones and put earn hundred bucks a week, tear up my phone number. And I got four employees. Within six months, I was making 4,000 a month. To me, that was like the American dream, being 18. After that, I got caught by health department and I didn't know I needed a health permit. Yeah. I didn't know I needed a health permit. Every time you repackage food for resale purposes, you have to have a permit. And I didn't know that. And they shot me down. I had 20 some thousand dollars saved. And my dad's buddy says, why don't you buy a gas station? You could buy a 90%, you know, get a 90% SBA financing and buy a gas station. And a lot of the gas stations back then were mechanical pumps. They were going through the mother's modernization to digital. And once the oil company picked your location to convert, it would skyrocket the value, right? Triple, you know, three, four X. And the guy uh, that was a broker selling gas station goes, you know, this mobile gas station off the Crenshaw Boulevard and 405, I have a very good feeling oil company, you know, mobile oil company is going to pick it next. So we made an offer, we're in escrow, 90 day escrow for 170,000 bucks or so for the gas station I went to. Mobile school, learn how to measure the tanks, run the snack bar. So I became a mobile dealer. It cost me thirty five hundred bucks. Then the loan guy turned out to be a fraud. Uh, told me to take my tw- yeah, took me told me to go to Palace Versus Bank, open a savings passport account with twenty thousand and put his name on it, <laughs> so he can access you know for appraisal you know all these other fees. Within three months, there was no money left in my account. He had written processing fees to himself and he ended up going jail later on. But anyhow, I lost all my money. And at that point, I'm like, all right. I called uh, Winston Tire's manager, one of the shops in Montebello, California, that used to buy a lot of nuts from me, <laughs> Ruben Padilla. Hopefully he's still alive, great guy. And I said, Ruben, I'm back to square one. I have no money and I need a job. He goes, come on down. He hired me as an assistant manager. And while working there, every time I say Porsche, Mercedes, I always ask him, hey, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And nine out of 10 times with either a loan company or a real estate company. <laughs> occasionally you had a doctor, occasionally you had a doctor or an attorney, but for the most part it was real estate related. So I'm like, you know what? I gotta get into real estate. This one guy that had a, a 911 Cabriolet, you know, he said he was a mortgage company. I said, hey, I would love to work. He goes, I love your energy. I'll hire you as a loan officer. So I worked for him for a few months. I learned the ropes. And within six months, I was like his best processor. But I wanted to go ahead and work for myself, right? I wanted to make a lot more money. So I found a broker to partner with and I opened my own mortgage company. And this was 1993, 92, 93. And we got lucky. I got auction.com. Back then was REDC, real estate resolution. Disposition trust something like that, and I became their primary lender. So this is mid '90s. There was a big recession in Orange County uh, in real estate. A lot of overbuilt new project in housing, and they wanted to auction these off, right? So they would give me one of the condos out of like a 60-unit complex. I would set up my loan officers there, and they had every bidder had to come to our to my unit and get pre-approved before they get a number to go out and bid on the auction. So we did $300,000 in one year. And that was huge for me. This is 1994. And then after that, we start doing a lot of refinances, run full page ads. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> I made pretty good money for a couple of years and then rates went up in 94. Greenspan increased the rates 50 basis point in one FOMC meeting. And we we're like, whoa, we just lost 60 refines because we didn't pre-lock him until we get ready for loan docs to get more rebate, right? Long story short, I had about $150,000 saved. My partner, the broker also had to save me. He goes, why don't we go into discount store? Everyone's doing 99 cent only. Why don't we do 79 cents plus? So we took a 10,000 square feet warehouse in Santa Ana and opened a discount store. It was doing fantastic. And we opened a second location. We were gonna do 10 of them and go public. We had all these big visions, <laughs> And then a, a discount supermarket opened right next to us, Food for Less open literally right next to right next to within like 30 feet away from our store on their grand opening our sales dropped 50 percent and it continued it continued within a year we were upside down we were not only making the thirty thousand a month we were making we were losing fifteen thousand a month and my partner says you know what i don't want to put any more work into this if you want you can take it over so i cut him fifteen thousand dollar check i bought his 50 percent share out And then I had to get to work. I said I told my parents, they were in Oregon at the time. I said, you need to come down. (laughs) So I had 11 employees. I laid off a few, I had my parents help me out and I got the sales back up and then I sold it. During this whole time, while I was selling it, we had a buyer in escrow that defaulted on the purchase, citing my landlord is not fair, didn't give me good favorable lease terms. So we ended up in court. While I'm sitting with my landlord for our case to be heard, my landlord, mind you, back then, Mr. Dave William, he was worth, you know, six to $700 million probably back then. Very, very prominent. Yeah. He came in the 50s and started buying commercial real estate and kept reinvesting, reinvesting. Long story short, he told me, oh, hey, Manny, you've been my tenant for five years. I love your energy. You put in 20% a day. But why are you slaving away? Why don't you put this energy into real estate? You know, like I did. I came in the 50s. I started with one small property. And I'm like, well, you need money, right? As you know, I don't have any money right now, you know? And he goes, well, once you sell your supermarket, come and see me. So that's how things worked out. Again, when I sold the supermarket, finally I dabbled with the stock market a bit. All my buddies were making money and I owed 200,000 on my credit cards and I got 185,000 net from escrow. So I was still negative net worth I'm like all right I busted my butt I'm not I'm not paying off my credit cards and still gonna owe 15 grand after <laughs> so I opened the e-Trade account I bought AOL, e-Trade broke communication all these stocks that were splitting three four one at every earning announcement and I more than doubled my money I didn't close to triple by September 1999 and I said okay you know enough is enough this is too good to be true I'm gonna pay off my credit card and go ahead, call Mr. Williams and get started with real estate. So I left 85,000 bucks in my E-Trade. I said, hey, if I can do 185 to this much, I can do the same thing with 85,000, right? So I called Mr. Williams. He set me up with his top broker and sold me a shopping center in Whittier. I put $200,000 cash down. And he basically taught me, you want to buy real estate, you can add value. You want to buy real estate, that's good location. So a lot of the strategies I use now, it was basically what the broker, his broker, taught me back then. And long story short, that was the journey of my real estate investment. I've probably done close to a billion dollars in real estate. I've never added it up, but now my average deal size is between 20 to 40 million. I got two deals in Espro now, one for 41 million. And then the one I'm buying from my headquarters, 22 million for myself to occupy. And it's been a fantastic journey. I've made a lot of mistakes. I lost $5 million on one deal, single tenant. So I've learned a lot of le- mistakes and I don't want other young investors that are getting into the business to make those mistakes. That's why I have my program. And I love passing on the torch and I enjoy hunting for the right deal, something you know that can add value, transform the property, like the one I'm going to buy in headquarter for Kochbin Company. And in a nutshell, that's really my journey. It's been fantastic. I retired my parents 20 some years ago, bought them a ranch. I just bought them a really nice house at Orange Park Acres. And, you know, I feel like they took the risk to bring me here. And now I owe it to them. And in a nutshell, I left a lot of things out. I've done a lot of other businesses too. I've started a mechanic, you know, uh, auto mechanic business, door to door, changing people's oil, brake pads, calibers, <laughs> uh, engine overhaul. Yeah.
0: In high sc- or in college, I was going to do a, a mobile oil change business. And- I didn't.
1: Yeah. And you know, I'm, I've, I've always had, you know, the, one of the secrets I want to say to uh, staying afloat and ahead of everybody else was I always had a side hustle too. I used to get up super early and go to 7-Eleven, pick up the auto trader. It used to come out every Thursday. So I would go up two in the morning. So I, as soon as I would find out what's their first drop, which <laughs> 7-Eleven is their first drop on their distribution and then i would get in my car with a flashlight boom 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 find deals that are priced lower and back then i was buying a lot of honda accords and pickup trucks things like that toyota mr2s and i used to buy those do a massive detail on it and then just put it back on auto trader and sell it make a few hundred bucks so i always had a side hustle you know the whole thing is don't just stand around for an opportunity there is an opportunity to just do what's in front of you until something better comes.
0: That's so good. Man, there's about a million things I want to unpack in here. Why don't we start? I want to know why, like, why did you go into, I mean, you started with commercial real estate, like the big stuff. Let's go into the real estate specifically. You started with some uh, a shopping center. Most people that I know start with like, you know, a house, right? Or maybe they buy a duplex if they're really crazy. But you, you just jumped into the big game. And it sounds like that's basically what you've been playing ever since is the commercial real estate game. So why is that? And do you recommend that for other people? Should people start small or can they jump in at that level?
1: Well, let me backtrack. My first property actually was a single family home. It was 1996. Yeah. So when I had the supermarket, 96, I bought a house. It was bank owned for 142,000. I only used $1,800 to buy it. I used FHA financing and I had, you know, the bank credit me, 3% 3% for non recurring closing costs and all that good stuff, you know. And then I rented it out. A year later, I sold it for 80,000 more. And then I did 1031 exchange, I bought two other homes. But my big money has always been commercial real estate, you know, from the first shopping center in Whittier, then I did another one. A couple of years later, I made a million bucks on the single flip. But I didn't have that much money to begin with. I've had my ups and downs, as you know, I've been close to broke twice in my past 35 years. And what I recommend people to do, housing is the easiest way to start investing in real estate, right? And the best way to buy it, you buy a property, you can add value, and it's selling at a discount. And of course it has to check off a few other boxes, right? Location, density, and there's a lot I teach in my courses. But no, I started with a single family home, it was my first property.
0: All right, and so now you buy these large deals today. I wanna to go to the end of your story, and then maybe we'll fill in. When you're talking buying a $40 million property, are you, are you syndicating that? Like where you're raising money from a bunch of different investors and they all pool money to buy it and you're leading it, or are you just buying it? Like, is that just your company you put the money in? Like, how does that function today?
1: Yeah. So I've never syndicated, but this particular property, I am dabbling a bit to maybe raise 20% from my members. A lot of the members in the group, they're always asking me, okay, the good deals are out of reach, you know, for us but can we put a little bit with you to CoinVest? So I opened it only to my group, only as a you know, only because they demanded and asked me so many times. Not that because I need the money, but the previous deal I sold for 41 million a year and a half ago, that was Coshman's landing. That I bought for 27 and sold it for 41. So all of it has been my money up to now. And I still don't have any partners as of right now to answer your question. It's all my money.
0: Yeah, that's phenomenal. I mean, I hear guys, you know, we have people on the show and I even talk about, you know, I buy, you know, I buy a 40 million or $50 million property, but they're all syndicated. It's not like I own it. I own a very small piece of a very large business that buys it. But it's, I'm always so impressed to talk to the guys like, no, I just, I just buy this. And, and you didn't start out buying a $40 million property, right? That first deal was significantly cheaper, but it, it kind of snowballs, right? Over the course of the last 20 years, you've snowballed it into a this machine that you can buy a lot of cool stuff.
1: Yeah. Honestly, real estate's the best asset class to build wealth if you know what you're doing and you're patient. And just like anything else, it's cyclical. And I like to say I'm a cyclical investor. You know, I double, triple down in recessions throughout the recovery and expansion in the economy cycle. I try to scale as much as I can. I love leverage. Leverage could be your best friend and it could be your worst, worst enemy. Depends when you're leveraging and what you're leveraging on, right? So I've learned. I've been through many recessions, but the real estate is the best asset class. gives you the tax write off. You can pull out money, tab into your equity, tax free, cash out, refi, and when you sell it, you can kick the can down the road on capital gain taxes. And there's a lot more to it, you know, doing acceleration on depreciation, which is cost segregation. A lot of things I teach in my program.
0: Yeah, that cost segregation stuff has been a game changer for me. All right, so let's let's. I'm going to do a few questions that are maybe. Questions like, that our audience is wondering from somebody who's been a, a seasoned veteran of the real estate world for 20 years. First one, you've been through ups and downs in the market. Where are we right now? Like, where do you think we're headed? What are you
1: betting on right now? Well, it depends what, I guess, real estate category. Office is in depression. There is so much sublease space. Industrial and distribution centers are gangbusters because, you know, e-commerce. Housing's hot because of lack of inventory and lower rates. And that's gonna change eventually. And that retail, big box retailers in depression, a small mom and pop community centers, gangbusters, they're huge because they have, you know, e-commerce resistance type of tenants, you know, your optometrist, chiropractor, 7-Eleven, dry cleaners. So it all depends, but in terms of economy in general, I mean, it's all artificial economy. It's a body economy. I mean, people are spending money that taxpayers have to pay back is not generated. It's not a healthy economy. So once the music stops, it's not going to be pretty, you know, at some point, I think our GDP, our debt to GDP is like 130% now, which has never been this high. But, you know, the rates are low and real estate's one of the most leveraged assets in the world. And it does well when, you know, yields are low. And I think they're going to be forced to keep it low for a while because of the interest payment is going to skyrocket if they go, it goes up. So I I am bullish on real estate, but, you know, some different sectors, not overall. I wouldn't say jump out and buy a house.
0: (laughs) I I love that you brought that up because people oftentimes will just say, you know, what's real estate doing? Like, how is the real estate market? But the fact is, like, like a seasoned person understands, like, there is no such thing as the real estate market. It's different sectors. There's the things that, you know, like you said, there's retail, there's office. So what are you, what are you focused on? What have you been the last few years focused on buying? What's your portfolio like? Is it retail? Is it the small shopping centers? Is it, is it malls? Like what do you buy? What are you buying?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm by nature. I'm a contrarian investor. I buy things that people don't like. It's not sexy right now. It's office. Both properties. I have in escrow. The 41 million is all office. And the 22 million is all office, general office. But I, I am buying a small little, shopping center one of my members brought it to me and says hey i can't buy it pull it off by myself do you want to go 50 50 i'm like sure that was unique because there's cbs as a tenant that pays two hundred fifty eight thousand a year triple net and as you know cbs farm uh ride aids those trade as a single tenant their credit they trade at a low, much lower cap so we bought that at a nine cap at 56 percent occupancy we're going to subdivide it sell the cbs which will make us What we paid for the entire property plus a million bucks profit. And then we got 40,000 square feet free. So there's a lot of ways to add, uh, you know, to add value to property or actually create value by subdividing property, for example, that has a credit tenant. And then also there is properties where there is cell tower income. I teach my program how you can actually sell the roofies, man. I just did one on a building in Arizona I, I bought six months ago. I bought it for 4.3 and I sold the roof for 827,000 cash for a 50 year easement. Yeah, and then I sold the building, it's in escrow as we speak, for 5.6 million. So I made two million dollar profit by doing that. So there's a lot of ways to skin the cat.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. And I'm assuming just the longer you're in real estate, the more that you think of these things. Like, so you hear some guy talking about cell phone towers, you're like, wait, that's a thing? And you dig into that and all of a sudden that becomes an opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. All right, and then, Let's go to some new investors that are listening right now. They're they're just getting started. They're where you were 25 years ago. What advice do you give to people who are brand new in real estate? They're saying, I just want to get rich. I just want to get financial freedom. I want to get started. What
1: do I do? Well, depends. If you have money or you don't have money, get educated, study the stock market you want to invest in. Because even if you don't have money and you network with other investors, get licensed, obviously, power up. I tell you, always get licensed for a few hundred bucks. It's amazing how much you learn getting licensed. Just learn the realistic principles. And then once you study the market, work your ass off going out, doing your research. When you find a property that's well positioned on a pricing and also it's mismanaged, you can go ahead, share that with your network. And you know you bring a deal, take some profit, 80, 20, 30, 70, whatever it is, and get started that way. That's what I would recommend. Uh, there is a lot of opportunities in real estate if you learn the game and you learn how you can add value to real estate and you just go and find those opportunities. And there is so much liquidity in the market, especially people that want to put money in real estate. You know, Opportunities are enormous. You just got to do your homework, learn the market, and find those opportunities. If you have the money yourself, pull it off. If you don't, you can partner up and bring your an equity partner with some other investors. Yeah,
0: that concept is so important that people are like, I can't get in real estate because I don't have any money. I'm like, there's a lot of people out there today who have money that don't have the time or the hustle or the knowledge or like the the drive to go out and find those deals. So bring in an equity partner.
1: Yeah, well, look what happened with Amin, my student, you know, he, he learned the game from me <laughs> and then he found the property and then I partnered with him. So I became his equity partner.
3: little episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with Rent App. Landlords love Rent App because it makes rent collection a breeze. Rent App uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters, and landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with the digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? Rent App, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app/landlord. That's rent.app/landlord. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means. Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash biggerpockets for stress free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to relayficom slash bigger pockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted.
0: Let's talk about finding deals you know, in the commercial space, as you're trying to buy these big properties, like the two offices that you have under right now, how are you finding them?
1: Yeah. So one of them was, yeah, one of them was publicly listed by CB Richard Ellis, the $22 million deal. And then the $41 million deal, I mean, that was just through my network of brokers. It's the same broker that got me Kaushman's Landing for $28 million four years ago. So when I'm running low on deal flow, I uh, pick up the phone and call the top brokers I've dealt with in the past. 10, 20 years. And I tell him, hey, Brian, I'm running loan deal deal flow. What? Which one of your properties in you guys' portfolio with your leasing department, you have a landlord that's not you know, throwing tenant improvement money or is mismanaging the property. And he says, hey, I have a perfect location for you. It's so-and-so owns it for 15 years. He's out of money. He's having problems. The tenants are leaving. The roof's leaking. And that's how the property came about. But Typically, I get about 30 to 40 deals emailed to me because I'm on their email list, email blast. And most of these big brokerage houses, you know, they get a listing. They don't want to put it on the public. They want to double-end it. So for 30 days, they'll send it within their network of uh, principals and buyers, investors. And then if they can't get a deal done, then they go ahead, put it on CoStar, LoopNet, or their local MLS, right? As you get more years, uh, under your belt, it gets much easier. You know, people, you build that credibility, they know you close, you're not going to ask for a fee. They double ended, you're an easy buyer. And, uh, I like to say, you know, I've, I've earned that in the past 30 years. So I get a lot of deals that way.
2: You know, you mentioned that you've been in the real estate game for over 30 years now, which is really impressive. And it's something I love when we get to talk to a guest that's seen more than one market cycle. So like, I'll admit I host the podcast, but I got in at the last crash. So I've really only seen the elevator go up. I watched it go down, but I've only rode it on the way up. And I really like to get insight from people that actually experienced what it was like when the elevator crashed and you had to feel <laughs> that fear of, am I going to die? Where, where, where's this going to stop? And the insight that comes out of that, would you mind sharing maybe some of the things you've learned about the right way to invest with the ups and downs you've seen and then what i'd really like to get is for you to elaborate a little more on when you mentioned the economy we're in isn't real i think is what you said a lot of it is based on uh, like created wealth that we're just like we're bought debt is really fueling this entire thing if you could just speak a little bit about how that works in a general sense and then how you use that information as a contrarian investor to make good decisions.
1: Sure, well, you know, I started my mortgage company in 92. I didn't buy my first property in 96. So when I say 30 years, when you have a mortgage company, as you know, you look at your 10 or three application, loan application, and you run into a lot of people that have real estate portfolios. So you have to analyze it, see if they qualify based on their income, all this stuff. But I've seen recession from mid nineties and then early 2000, the dot com we had another recession. And then again, 2008, we had another recession. So as I've seen these cycles come and go, I've noticed you know, if you have a credit tenant, you're probably gonna weather the storm. If you don't have a credit tenant and you have a small mom and pop office building, you're probably gonna be in trouble. So in 2007, I had a $130 million portfolio, a million a square feet of high rises in Houston. I've sold it in July, 2007. And everybody says, What are you doing? You know, everything's going gangbusters. You're making, you know, crazy money on these buildings. But I was like, Yep. But, you know, I had a pretty good run and we're pretty much due for a recession. (laughs) So I sold those and I started buying. I bought a million square feet. I sold those and I bought a million square feet worth of food line centers in North Carolina, which is a pretty big grocery chain. And I bought 700,000 square feet of multi tenant mostly credit industrial distribution, warehouses in Houston. And that was Continental Airlines, FedEx, Halliburton. These were my tenants. And guess what? I had barely any defaults throughout 2008. And I had that you know 300,000 a month cash flow coming in while everybody else was letting go of their office buildings. And I ended up buying five out of the eight buildings I sold. I actually ended up buying those back from mortgage servicers. In three years after I sold them. So 2000, yeah, 2011, 2010, I bought five of those high rises back from LNR mortgage servicers.
0: You know, people listening to this right now, you sold a massive portfolio in 07. So I'm sure some people in the audience are thinking, wow, he got super lucky. Other people are like, wow, he's super smart. How do you balance that? Like, did you see it? You knew something was coming or did you, do you think you got more lucky or where do you fall on
1: that luck versus skill in that regard? Well, you know, I, I hate to say I use a lot of common sense. When I was selling my buildings, I had people offer me from Florida, New York, crazy prices on my property without even seeing it. And I'm like, and all 1031 exchange money, right? I'm like, okay, this is getting way out of hand. When you see that kind of a activity in real estate, you're like, all right, it's too good to be true. Just like the 1999, when I sold my portfolio of stocks, because it was too good to be true. But overall, you know, luck obviously has something to do with it, but I think timing is important when you know things will go parabolic, you know, things will have a counter direction, right? And I don't know. I mean, I like to think some has luck, but mostly just use common sense. If it's too good to be true, you may want to take some chips off the table. I remember when
2: I was listening to this podcast before I was hosting it. And Josh Dorkin was talking about a time when he saw a police officer was buying a million dollar house. And this was like 15 years ago, right? This wasn't a million dollar house now, maybe a police officer could buy it. <laughs> that would be like a like a $2 million house now. And he just recognized like school teachers are buying $800,000 houses, cops are buying million dollar homes. This does not make sense. And like you're saying, Manny, it's the slightest bit of common sense when you just ask how, how do they do it? And someone says, oh, well, they got a a adjustable rate mortgage with negative amortization and like all these bells and whistles thrown on to force it to work. You're like, oh, right. If you saw a car that was running that way, right, like it's this. uh, they took an engine out of a lawnmower and they threw it into a Honda Civic, but they added a turbo booster here and they added some NOS there. You might be able to make it go forward for a period of time, but that car is not going to continue running. And I think a lot of people get themselves in trouble trying to outsmart the system. They're looking for some special algorithm that will tell them when the market's going to change, when the answer might be right in front of their face. Is that the common sense that you're sort of describing?
1: Yes, absolutely. And you know, homes, for example, right now, single family home, you know, to get a deal, you got to pay over in most markets. And chances are, you know, when rates eventually go up, your value is going to go down. I mean, it's just natural economics you know what happens with uh, cost of money so we know rates been low for 40 50 years and eventually things have to change we're not going to go negative like japan i hope not <laughs> so with that said you know use common sense if, if you find a building that you can uh, a home that you can buy that's a foreclosure short sale that's a different story but i'm talking about that regular listing they're asking over appraised value and now you gotta chase it So that's the thing, you know, that's a speculation. And a lot of people don't know the difference between speculating and investing.
2: You know, another thing that's come up a lot in your story that I've noticed when you were describing kind of your, uh, what's it called when you're hearing how a superhero was formed? The origin story, that's when you're telling your origin story was this fact that cars played a role in it, right? You notice other people with nice cars and you saw these cars and I see in the background, you've got cars there. Is there a special relationship that you have between
1: uh, nice cars and motivation? Hmm. Well, yeah, I love investing in these cars for several factors. One, I'm passionate about the history of some of these brands like Bugatti, you know, McLaren, Mercedes. Second, I've noticed a lot of Wealthy people do have art and exotic cars, collectible cars in their portfolio as an investment. And I've actually made money on some of these cars. I mean, on one car alone, I made 1.9 million after five months of owning it. I sold it for 1.9 million profit. I have several cars here that have been offered a few million over what I paid for. But I've, I use them more as a passion-driven investing. But at the end of the day, there is still an investment for me there are a lot of cars I could buy that I know I'll lose money on and I don't dare to buy.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's funny. You know, I, I see your Instagram and you have a massive Instagram and you post a lot of videos and pictures. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's one of my favorite accounts out there. It's not my favorite. I You always post it. Yeah. It's, you could do a really good job. And but you, you're, share, you're sharing real estate advice, and then you're sharing these car things. And I always just thought the cars were just kind of like, "Hey, you got a lot of money, so you got you buy some cars." But I'm totally seeing you in a new light now. You're like, this is a passion-driven investment, and I love that concept because, like, you can have cool stuff, and then know that you can eventually then, you know, like make at least make your money back, if not some. Why not enjoy it while you have it? It's not a liability, in other words. You're buying assets. Still, that majority of the world, you know we don't know, we'd only dream of having. That's super cool.
1: Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of uh, young investors, the minute they get their big fat check commission, they love to run over to the Ferrari or Lamborghini dealer and put that down and finance <laughs> their dream sports car. But I tell people, I said, grind now so you can shine later spending the fruits of your investments. So You know, believe it or not, that power of compounding, you know, taking that one first house I bought, flipped it, bought two more homes, and then that first shopping center, I 1031 exchanged it with your property into another one, office building, and then a high rise, and then a multiple high rises in a portfolio I bought as a group. So I didn't buy Ferrari, you know, till 2005, when I was worth, you know, well over 30, $40 million back then. And people said, oh, how come you don't have a Ferrari or Lamborghini? Because I was reinvesting my money. And that's a lot of the uh, investors' mistake is they, instead of reinvesting their big chunk of income they make early on, they go ahead and explore And that's very common. It's so hard to resist, I know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is hard. Especially when you see the social media, all these people with the awesome stuff and cool houses, cool cars, and you're like, oh, I want that. But... You didn't do that. Like you said, you didn't do that right away. You waited till you built up that business. And that's why
2: we bring it up. Because a lot of people see that and they think, oh, if I buy a house, I can buy a Ferrari. (laughs) And that's as far as they think. They don't think I have to master real estate or become excellent. I heard Dave Ramsey telling a story about Jay-Z spending $250,000 in one night on basically like bottle service at a club. And he took a lot of heat for spending this much money on something that was frivolous. And Dave Ramsey was saying, do you understand that Jay Z spending $250,000 in one night is like you spending twenty five dollars in one night, right? Like you're not playing the same game as him. So you can't judge him by the same rules. And I thought that was a really, really good point that there is a point you can hit where this isn't actually threatening your business anymore. And I was actually curious in a way, Manny, if it's in a way motivating your business, if this is one of the things you do to keep yourself motivated, once you've hit financial freedom and you don't need a more money or more success.
1: Well, you know, it's not the money anymore for me It's the hunt for the deal. I love taking a property, transforming it. It's kind of becomes an art after a while. I don't buy a property that I can't add value or transform because at that point I'm just parking my money in real estate. Yeah, you're gonna make money, but it's not its not my passion. You know, it doesn't drive me. I don't know. I don't think it's another business you can do in this country That's you have the leverage options and also the different economies in different states that you can 1031 into. I mean it's, to me it's like I don't know. I'm I'm in love with real estate, sorry.
2: <laughs> you almost sound like a, a really successful like coach like Mike Shashevsky at Duke who said, I'm retired, I don't need to coach, but he just gets joy out of coaching AAU kids and helping this turn this kid into the best version of themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah.
0: So you mentioned the value add piece. I want to I want to hit on that real quick. What kind of things do you do when you buy a property? What are some of your favorite things to do to add value to a property?
1: Number one, remeasure your building. Most commercial buildings, you know, the BOMA standard changes every few years. I picked up 4,000 square feet just by remeasuring my building on the water at Kochbin's Landing. And 4,000 feet at 1,500 bucks a foot, that's 6 million bucks in value. Uh, and it costs you six to ten thousand depending on how big the property is, for them to get remeasured. That's one. Two, I look at uh different common areas where I can convert into rentable space. For example, I put a cigar lounge on the third floor at Coshman's Landing. That was a huge patio that tenants didn't use. So I just that and converted it to a Cubano room, charged, you know, pay ten thousand amount of rent at you know, four percent cap, that's extra three, four million bucks on the resale. Other things is conversion of lease types. If somebody somebody's on a gross lease and you can go ahead, come around to triple net lease or modified gross at renewal, that's huge because when you sell the property for much higher, the property tax gets reset, that gets passed on to the tenant and the buyer is not gonna ding you for the excess property tax and deduct it from the net operating income. There's a lot, but those are some of the main ones. Changing tenant type, taking a restaurant that's mom and pop, and put a restaurant that's credit the either public company or regional national restaurant chain boom you double at least double your value because a mom and pop you're not going to get probably you know less than a seven cap and a national restaurant chain you're probably going to get four cap so things of that nature but those are just a few
0: <laughs> wow that's really good yeah really good stuff there because again, I, I love this idea of value add If you buy the property. Like you said, you can park money in real estate if you really want to just, you'll make some money. But if you want to grow fast, if you want to be aggressive or if you just want to, you want to build that wealth quickly, that value adds where it's at. And where, where it's at is like, the more you get into this and the more you start thinking, how do I make this better? How do I change this? Most people in life and business, accept what they're given. Oh, they said it was a duplex. Okay. That's what it is, right? They said it's three bedroom. They said it was a 10,000 square foot, you know, property. They're not thinking, how do I drive more value out of this? How do I bring that out? And that mentality I just see in you from the time you came to America till now is just, I'm gonna figure out a way to make, make it through. That's cool, kind of ties that all together.
2: I would also, let's highlight too, before we move on, Manny, you're not just saying, hey, buy real estate, just buy it, find a partner and buy it. What you're actually talking about is, at a deep level, understanding how real estate is valued and how it works. You've mentioned if it's used for this purpose, you might get a four cap, but at this purpose, you might get a nine cap. You can double the value of the property just by repurposing it. That shows a pretty significant level of understanding with what makes real estate worth what it's worth. You're not just advocating, get out there, just buy something. You're actually talking about understanding it at a deep level and developing a mastery of it. And when you hit that, it does become almost effortless, like you're saying, right? You don't sound scared about deals anymore. It's exciting. You have a lot of confidence that I can take this and turn it into more. And then you can do things like buy the cars that you like or whatever other passions that you have in real estate sort of funds. And so that would be what I would hope everyone would take from this is if you pour into mastering this, it will pay you back more than you ever put into it.
1: Absolutely.
0: You hit it right on the nail. Cool, man. Well, last question before we get to the famous four. So it's like the last question before the final four, which is before the final one is you mentioned just briefly over there that you lost $5 million on a property. Can you explain that, like what? That's a lot of money to lose. Like, I can't let you just gloss over that one. We gotta, we gotta touch on
1: that. Yeah, this was a single tenant building in Clear Lake, NASA, subsidiary of Boeing occupied at USA, United Space Alliance. They handle all the communication with Discovery Shuttle. They put millions and millions in fiber into the building. So I'm guessing they're not going anywhere. They had four years left with two, five year option. And when I did my tenant interview, and the CEO says, hey, the only way we would not renew exercise our five-year renewal is if we lose the contract with NASA, which it's almost impossible. Nobody else is going to be able to fulfill that. What happened? Elon Musk happened. SpaceX got the contract, and I got a FedEx notification with one page in there that said we're moving out of the building and we're not going to renew. And I bought that building for $17 million. I put $5 million down. And I had my own brother, sister, you know, some of family, friends, they wanted to invest with me. That was one building I put my, their money in there that we lost. And that was very painful. I didn't care losing two and a half million of my own money because I know I can make more. And I, my net worth was pretty good at the time. It didn't really ding me, but it was just, it still hurts. Two and a half million dollars to lose. So that's one of my painful lessons I learned. It uh, doesn't matter how good of a credit the tenant is. It could be U.S. government. If it's single tenant, you know, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. So I don't buy any single tenant buildings, no matter what. I don't buy any building that a single tenant occupies more than 20% of the rent roll. That's one of my rules. Diversify.
0: I love that you said that. Because, yeah, I've I've seen investors and I've talked to investors who they will buy a large single tenant property, like, you know what? And they are like, yeah, those people never leave or those, you know, they're a great, they're a great company. They'll, they'll be there for years. And I'm still like, ah, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Like that freaks me out. Like I need that diversification, so. Yeah.
1: Trends change, even like right Aid. I'm seeing a lot of right Aid, Walgreens coming to market and I've never seen this much triple net single tenant coming to market and guess what? Amazon's going after pharmacy, you know, they may buy Target that has pharmacy. So it's on the chopping block and consumer behavior changes. And if that happens, look, if you got all your money into 10 Walgreens, and guess what, 10 years from now, if Walgreens is not in business, you've just lost all your money. And the dirt is worth whatever the dirt is worth, but you're paying a huge premium for that credit tenant. And if that credit tenant is not here, you're gonna be in a bad shape.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. I I never thought about Walgreens or CVS being in trouble, but. When I think about it, nobody ever thought Blockbuster was in trouble either. <laughs> like when you can like when you can press a button on your phone and your medicines delivered, you know, six hours later, and you know you can have a virtual call with a a pharmacist. Like what? Like why do you go to Walgreens? Yeah, that's fast. This actually supports the what we were saying earlier because
2: that fact right there could scare some people, so they never buy. I just don't know too many things could happen. I don't know. Right. But what happens is when CVS goes out of business or whatever, and you're left with all this space, you need to get your manny on. You need to coach bin this thing and ask, how could I better use this space? Right. Is this something I could turn into residential living and get it rezoned? Is this something I can rent out as office space or warehouse space or storage or something to me? That's how real estate is meant to be done is you're always asking that question is what's the highest and best value of what this space is and how could it be repurposed? And if it wasn't for that, I would also be too scared to ever take action. It's just paralyzing when you think about what happens if, but as long as you've got that, like, well, if we come out there and, you know, like Peyton Manning sees the defense and the coach called a running play and he sees that it's stacked with linebackers, he's got the confidence to call a pass play. That's all that we're really describing here is if you understand the fundamentals of how this works, you won't have to operate in that fear.
1: Yeah, as long as you buy in the right location and the density is there, you can always find a better use for that property. You know, you gotta buy in the right demographic, you know, population's increasing. That's why I like Arizona, I love Texas. These are business-friendly states that's always have increasing population year over year.
2: You know what else they all have in common? Tennessee, Florida, Texas, all these Arizona, these Idaho, the states are doing well. Californians are moving there. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing all their money with them.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was just having dinner last night with a guy from Boise and he's like, yeah, he's like property values have like doubled in the last couple of years. It's just nuts. So yeah, he's like, it's all Californians. It's all your guys.
2: fault." All the people in Idaho are saying our values doubled and all the people in California are saying my house is half as expensive as they move there.
0: <laughs> all right, well, let's get on to the last segment of the show. And that is our famous
3: four.
0: this is the part of the show where we ask the same four questions every week to every guest. And Manny, we're going to throw them at you real quick. Number one, uh, is there a real estate related book? that has made a big impact on your life? Like what's a favorite real estate related book?
1: Well, I hate to tell you, but Art of the Deal by Donald Trump. (laughs) I like that because I just liked how he took a property that was basically run down and nobody wanted it and turned it into a massive development and made money. And the Art of Deal is basically negotiating how to make a deal happen where everybody says, oh, city is not gonna ever give you an approval for this. He made it happen. So just a uh, challenge he took on a property and turned it into a massive success. That was an eye-opener, but more than anything, my landlord, Mr. Williams, was a very big inspiration for me getting into commercial real estate, seeing his wealth. He's you know accumulated over the years buying commercial real estate. But the only book I've written in real estate, I hate to tell you, was The Art of the Deal <laughs> many, many years ago. All right. All
2: right, next question. What is your
1: favorite business book? Hmm. You're not going to believe this, but I'm not a big bookworm. I, I don't read much. <laughs> Everything I've learned has been out in the field, either through transaction or actually watching, you know, doing a lot of research online, reading a lot of news. But I don't, I, there's no specific book I would say that comes to mind.
2: Well, maybe we'll write one someday. Maybe you got a book in you.
1: No, I've written two books, okay. but. <laughs> So let's hear about those. Yeah, so I have a contrarian playbook. Uh, in 2011, 10 years ago, I self-published it. It did great. To this day, I still get great residual. It's sold on Amazon. That is basically the principle basics, basic principles of my strategies of it as a contrarian. How to buy, when to buy, time the market, and things of that nature. And basically it tells a little bit about my journey, but not a whole lot. And a lot of people read that book, they love the business part of it, but they said, we wanna know more about you personally. So I wrote my second book, Driven, a few years ago and Entrepreneur Magazine actually reached out to me and says, hey, we wanna write your book. We'll pay for the Ghost Rider, all that stuff. I'm like, okay, and we did that. And uh, that's Driven is more focused on my biography and my journey has a lot of pictures of my kids and past and present. I like the car
2: theme too with that, Driven. It's a good name. You're a smart marketer there. Yeah.
1: I mean, you have to have the drive in you, otherwise you're not going to go anywhere in life. All right. Next question. What are some of your hobbies? Ooh, well, you see these beautiful cars behind me? <laughs> well, exercise, exercising. I love fishing, driving cars. Those are, I would say my top three that I love. And then obviously hunting for real estate. Believe it or not, I still hop on internet and, and search, start searching for properties. When I have a downtime, kids go to bed. I just love it. Finding it that, you know, diamond in the rough.
2: What it reminds me of, especially for someone, Manny, at your level who still likes it. If you guys ever played that computer game when we were kids, the Oregon Trail. To me, the funnest part of it was when you would go hunting, right? You'd like go out there and you like try to shoot a buffalo, right? So I would just always want to hunt, but then I'd end up with 9,000 pounds of meat and I can only take back like 20 pounds of it to the camp, right? That's what it gets like when you're hunting deals, when you have all these ideas, you're like, I want to take down this one and I would do this and that, but then you realize I don't have the bandwidth to actually execute on 90% of this. It's that same feeling from the Oregon Trail.
0: That's funny. All right, my last question of the day. Manny, what do you, if you had to really boil it down, what do you think separates successful people from those who give up, fail, or never get started?
1: I would say successful people have one thing in common, right? They don't look at failure as a failure. They look at it as an, a lesson and they move up. And to me, I've had many failures, but I don't think it was failure. Those were lessons I learned along and I took that and I improved myself. So failures are self-improvement you gotta, it's how you look at it. So my mental uh, state of mentality is anything that happens to me is for a reason. And there is something bigger and better waiting for me. And with that, you never look at anything negative, right?
2: That's really good, man. Really good. Last question of the day, Manny, where can people find out more about you?
1: Well, mannykoshpin.com and we have a couple of links for for the Contrarian Academy and my various programs, but MannyKoshpin.com, just my name.com, and also, uh, you know, if they want to follow me on Instagram, I do share basically everything on Instagram. I love to share my story often, and also some of the things I do with real estate on there to inspire others. That hey, uh, you know, American dream is will and can happen. And a lot of people say, oh, it was easy back then, but it's so hard to do it now. It's the opposite. Right now it's so much easier to do anything in life because you can network, you can access, you have access to everything. Back then you had to fly out to look at a property in Houston. Now I get on internet and I do Google Earth, I check around, a lot of them has virtual tours. It's so much easier to make money now than 30 years ago. So if you power up, yeah, if you power up, you get knowledgeable. And you start networking. I mean, anybody can be a multimillionaire in time if you commit to it and have a never give up mentality. So. Love it.
0: I love it, man. Well, thank you so much. It's been phenomenal. I love hearing your story and uh, all the lessons you can share. I can't wait to see where you're heading in the future as well. So you're killing it.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, David. Thank you, Brandon.
0: Pleasure. And that was our show with Manny Koschbein. That was awesome. That was awesome. Especially, I love that like value add piece at the end. there. I I love the whole thing, but I love that like tangible, like here's some things that'll make you millions of dollars. So it's like, oh, that's great. Yeah, phenomenal.
2: Yeah, I also love that he has a 30 year plus perspective on real estate. He's gone through different market cycles. He's seen what worked at different times. Uh, he's got a very well-rounded and mature perspective on wealth building. And you don't find a lot of people that have been investing that long that are still willing to come on a podcast and share what they know.
0: Yeah, man, yeah, I know that was very cool. You know, one thing he brought up and I didn't want to say it in the show, cause I know we had limited time with Manny today, but I'll say it now, you know, when we talked about the car thing, how like he buys these really, you know, just amazing cars. You guys gotta check out his Instagram for the cars, but just amazing cars. And he Said it's like a a passion project investment or whatever, passion investment. In other words, like he's not buying them to lose money. They are assets, like we talked about. Well, I had a similar conversation. I was on the North Shore of Oahu a few days ago to having dinner on this amazing property that was like right on the beach, in front of where all the surfers go, like right by Pipeline. Uh, And it was like this, just stupid nice property. And somebody that was there said something like, "Oh man." It would be so cool to own one of these. And you know what I said? I said, "Oh yeah, I'm going to own one of these someday." And I didn't say that from a like bragging thing. It's just the fact that like I'm in real estate and I have a passion for nice properties. So the same way Manny buys cars knowing he can sell them again for later, I was like, "Yeah, of course I'm going to own a thirty million dollar beachfront mansion because I'll sell it for forty later on." So it's not a liability. It's not just some rich guy trying to like buy a fancy house to show off. I'm like. It's just like, I'll buy it and then I'll sell it for more. It's not even a question in my mind that I'm going to own one of those. Same thing with this, real estate and fancy cars. Unlike you go buy a 2021, you know, I don't know, Tesla, that thing's going to be worth significant less, like significantly less five years from now, but the older, either older cars or really fancy cars or artwork or houses, stuff like that. Yeah. There could be some fun stuff in there. Cars go out
2: of style. Clothes go out of style. Computers go out of style but real estate never goes
0: out of style. Mm, You can put that on your tombstone. (laughs) Here lies David. He went out of style. (laughs) All right. My grave site won't go out (laughs) of style because
2: it's real estate.
0: Yeah. You can resell that thing later. (laughs) 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 It's horrible. All right. Let's get out of here, man. I appreciate you and everything you do for the bigger pockets community. So thanks, man. Awesome, man. Thank you. This is David. Wait, Hold on. What day does this episode come out? Like, uh, mid September. So, okay, mid September, which means BPCon's coming up next month. So I, if tickets have not sold out yet, which I don't know, we're recording this early, but you can check by going to bpcon2021.com. And if they are sold out, check back and you never know, we might release more tickets or maybe there'll be a digital version or at least you'll know to sign up for next year's conference because they sell out quick here at BP World. With that said, David, get us out of here.
2: This is David Green for Brandon. What do you want on your tombstone turner? Signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online.